Welcome, listeners, to Films in Canada, the podcast about Canadian movies. I'm William Lee, and I'm joined by... Alexander Cairns. And today we're going to be talking about... Uh, Take This Waltz. Take This Waltz. <laughs> Sarah Pauly's second feature movie from 2011. Um, you recommended we, we uh, watch and talk about this movie because you are a fan of the movie, I assume. Yeah, I wanted to talk about it, one, uh, because Sarah Pauly, a director, a Canadian director who's gained some acclaim on the international stage mm -hmm. and also recognized to, by American audiences for her film work or for her acting work, mm -hmm. uh, I guess most notably Go. You think that's her most, <laughs> that's her most known <laughs> acting? Don't let go. <laughs> I think it's fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because like she's right on the front of the poster. And okay. Yeah, sure. A lot of people have seen that. <laughs> you know, for for a time, I got her mixed up with um, with the girl in the Bourne movies. Who uh, um, she's like an analyst or something in the Bourne movies. Oh, um, uh, we'll find it later. Julia Stiles. Julia Stiles. That's, yes. Yeah. For for not a long time, but sometimes I'd confuse <laughs> the two of them. So. Yeah, I don't think I would make that yeah. jump. But yeah, so so. It's a Sarah Pauly movie. It's a Canadian movie mm -hmm. set in Toronto, all that stuff. It's got Canadian actors in it. So it's, you know, it fits well within our podcast. But yep. specifically because I, f I just, I had the impression that people didn't like it. And so I wanted to, I think I wanted to true. give my perception of it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think that's true. I think the general, um, the general consensus uh, is that it was not as good as her first movie. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think often um, filmmakers, uh, especially ones that uh, that people know about already, uh, there's a lot of weight put on their on their second movie. Yeah, uh, especially if their first one is um, is well regarded. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, her first movie being um, away from away her. from her. Yeah. So the uh, so the story in take this waltz actually I'm, I'm gonna give a shot at this one this time and i'm hopefully not gonna stumble through it maybe you can help me with the names but otherwise i think i got it okay well her name was Margot, i think Margot. right and her husband is lou lou and and the neighbor is daniel daniel okay i didn't know daniel so Margot is a writer she's off in eastern canada reporting on some like it's a historic fort where she's gonna she's gonna redo the brochures or something. Yeah. yeah. So she's she's been contracted to work for the Canadian government or whatever. Who cares about that? She meets this this fellow, or I guess she's she's been put on the spot at this this reenactment where she's meant to lash this this gentleman who's who's you know in in the 1600s or whatever. He's done something illegal. She he needs to get whipped. And this guy calls her out in the audience and says, you know, you've hit, her, hit him harder or whatever. She gets pissed. They end up sitting next to each other on the plane back to Toronto. Uh, they exchange words. They end up sharing a cat taxi. She says, oh, I live at such and such dress. She's like, oh, really? Turns out they live next to each other. She leaves the taxi saying, by the way, I'm married. Walks off. You find out that uh, she's married to a gentleman named Lou. Uh, to back up, Margot is played by Michelle Williams. Michelle Williams. Uh, Daniel is played by a gentleman named Luke Kirby, who I, I don't think I've seen him in anything else, but um, mm -hmm. he's quite good in this. And her husband, Lou, is played by Seth Rogen. Um, they, Daniel and, and Margot develop this affair. Um, Lou is unaware. He's making chicken a lot of the time. Because he's um, a cookbook author. He's a cookbook author. Um, his sister, I believe, or is it his stepsister, is Sarah Silverman. She's a drunk. Mm -hmm. um, there's some familial back and forth there. There's various scenes, but it mostly focuses on this budding relationship between Margot and Daniel. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess... The rest would get into spoiler territory. I'm thinking. Yeah, we can get into. I think. Yeah, you know, later on we'll. I think we have to talk about a lot of the key plot elements to to get at the meat of this movie. Mm -hmm. right? So um, when you 
when we sat down today before we started recording, you're like, oh, I'm really excited to talk about this movie. Yes, and I did say that. I, I got the sense immediately that you didn't like it. I don't totally not like it. <laughs> I think there are problems with the movie. I think, that, I think the movie tries too hard, and it really was noticeable to me how much effort was uh, put into the movie. And those details I'll get into in a moment. And the way the movie concludes is a mess. I think it kind of shits the bed at the end. <laughs> I think it's interesting, um, this story about a woman who's tempted to have an affair, um, who's, who's got uh, desires to, uh, to be with this guy that she just met. Yeah. I think it's a story that maybe, not that it's so rare that it's explored in the movies, but the way that it is explored in this movie is very unusual. And uh, I appreciate that it was doing something different. Uh, I, I think it, I, I think it uh, for me, it goes the wrong way at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how easy it, it would be for me to discuss without really just kind of laying it all out there and getting sure. into the spoilers, I guess, just because yeah. it's, it's really just a mess in my head. Uh, I'll say very clearly that it's a movie that I really strongly connect with hmm. and, and have a lot of, have a very strong emotion, emotional response to. I, I, don't, I don't think it's easy for, for me, it's not easy for me to articulate just to, just to dumb it down to you know, mm-hmm. here's what's good and bad about it. And like, okay, now let's talk about the real substance behind it. I, I don't know. This, I mean, even just sitting down to watch the movie the second time, I, I, took, I had to like stop watching it mm-hmm. and like go back a few days later and finish it um, because it, 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 it affects me in that deep of a way. And, okay. so, and so like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know where to start. And and I go okay. I guess I can say in general terms about the quality of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's beautifully shot. There's some incredible staging and cinematography uh. that you that you typically would not see in romantic comedies. You don't agree with me, obviously. No, but complete your thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't mean to. Uh. But um, I, I think I think it approaches a romantic comedy in a very unique way, and and brings a lot more complexity to what might be a more standard story and comes at it from a different way like you said with um the affair you know the 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 woman is not is not shamed in any way um it's just it's just sort of a matter of of life that you know this this one relationship kind of fizzles and and this other one starts anew Mm. whether or not that's a good thing and what and how the film treats whether or not Margot's better off at the end or not we can Mm. get into but um I think in general terms, you know, even even if you do read some reviews that say that it's not a good movie or, or whatever whatever people have against it, and and obviously you can you can speak to that to some degree. I think it's just worth watching for for the sheer beauty of it. I think there are some beautiful moments in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't dissuade somebody from watching it. I think you can get a lot out of it. I I just uh, there are things that I find very problematic about it. So while I wouldn't wholeheartedly recommend it, if somebody wanted to watch it, I would not uh, I would not talk them out of it. And you would just you just recommend it oh, wholeheartedly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Then spoiler time. Let's get into the meat of it. All right. All right. So I I'm going to make a guess at the point at which you started not liking it. Okay. Which is when they're on the plane. And she talks about how she like needs to sit in a wheelchair. No, no. Okay, because the second time watching that for me, it sort of came across is as it too like cute. Yeah, well, it's not too cute, but like that. It's it was it's a shorthand to get to um, something about the character mm-hmm. that it, it makes no sense really that like she that like her response to feeling like she can't get from point to point a to point b in life mm-hmm. her response to that is to sit in a wheelchair in an airport like mm-hmm. that doesn't compute to me and so um in that regard i don't know i, I feel like that that's maybe where the movie can lose people yeah. right off the bat because that's like the first five minutes Absolutely. and then and then and then all of a sudden you think that that it is this really sen- sentimental mm-hmm. hokey piece of crap 
and and that's how you read the rest of it. Yeah, it didn't lose me at that point. I was okay. I was giving it that moment, but it does. But it, that is uh, symptomatic of the rest of the movie, where there's a lot of kind of weird bits, quirky bits used to um, used to tell you signal what the character is uh, what makes up this character what the character is going through right that just feel artificial they feel like they're written they're, yeah. they feel like they're they're um, conceived in in a writer's mind who, yeah. th- who thinks this will this will play really well this will play really cleverly because we haven't seen it before except it just really sticks out as something that is um, that that almost defies logic right um, and it's, you know, a movie doesn't have to be realistic, but I think there are. Um, but this movie doesn't pretend to be a fantasy either. Uh, I think there, there's parts of the movies that are very dreamlike, but I don't. But I, I think it, it wants to be. It wants to be situated in the real world. It wants to say these are real people having uh, a real dilemma. Mm-hmm. This is a way that this um, scenario could play out. Um, so, despite the the fanciful filmmaking that that comes in a little bit later i think the movie wants to be grounded in reality and details like the way that she copes with her anxiety at the airport um the fact that one character makes a living as a rickshaw driver um that (laughs) what's wrong with that man (laughs) (laughs) well you're from toronto yeah or as you say toronto toronto yeah toronto i've i've since started saying toronto and any time I mention okay. that, any time I say Toronto to my brother, he yeah. uh, he gets mad. <laughs> like he insists that I take it back and say Toronto. Do you think it'd be possible to make a living as an artist uh, and a part-time rickshaw driver in Toronto? Sure. I don't know. I mean, obviously people do it. I don't know how much they make. Okay. Like it's a, it's a, it's a it's a job that exists. This is a, I, th- I think you're, I think you're right in identifying it as a romantic comedy. Yeah. But I think it's, it's wanting to be uh, uh, almost subversive of the genre. Right? Yeah. Because you have people with very unique jobs. They, they're not, they're not grocery store clerks. She's a, she's a travel writer. He's a, he's a, he's writing a cookbook. Yeah. The other guy's an artist. Yeah. And a rickshaw driver. Yeah. Right. So everyone has like, Unique jobs, glamorous jobs, and it, and and I think I think all of that in a way contributes to what you're saying about it being sort of fanciful, and it doesn't it it doesn't exist in the real world. I don't I don't think that it does at all, well, and I don't and I don't I don't feel that it's trying to ground to okay. ground itself in any sense of reality. Okay, I think it wants to reflect a fantasy of reality. I they're um, like it's a, it's a young couple in a hip neighborhood. They're rich for poor young people. Like, you don't see them uh, with fancy cars or, or going to extravagant, extravagant dinners. Yeah. But it looks like they're, they've found a fantastic house. It's decorated with all the, um, all the trappings of like a bohemian artsy lifestyle. Right. But very comfortably. There's, there's, so much, there's so much detail put into saying what kind of lifestyle these people lead. They could be the, the friends uh, on the TV show where each of them has or they share or they each have like a, a huge New York apartment. Right. right. The, but this, the house is, uh, is meant to be uh, a little bit dilapidated, but it is a beautiful house in a, in a nice neighborhood. And uh, they can have these, these jobs where they, they don't seem to have to put a lot of effort into their jobs, but they can support this, uh, this very comfortable um, bohemian lifestyle. Okay. And I think, that is, uh, I think that is sort of the intersection of what could be real and what could be fanciful. Um, so so uh, can you explain? We're, we're talking about whether it's grounded in reality. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I think it's. I think it is. Uh, it's. It's got more than one foot in reality because it mm-hmm. says like you can live in this kind of a house. You can have these uh, furnishings. You can have these kind of jobs, which are not, which are not crazy jobs like uh, like a Hollywood um, romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Like they, they don't have to be. They don't have to be the editor of a magazine or something like that. But or they sell toy plungers. 
toy plungers? Who sold, who sold toy plungers? Uh, Barry Egan in Punch Drunk Love, Adam Sandler's character in Punch Drunk Love. Oh, okay. I'm not sure if I consider that a romantic comedy. But 100% romantic comedy. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a bit of a genre bender, I guess. But that one too. I, yeah. I think. I think. Well, usually it's more grounded in romantic comedies than anything else. Usually, they're working for a glamorous job. They're at a fashion magazine, or they're uh, they're a, they're a star reporter, yeah. or they're um, they're a food critic, something like that. Yeah. Some very exotic job, which they have to have one scene that establishes they make a, or they make crossword puzzles for a living. Or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And then you don't have to have any more scenes that say they work for a living because that gig is so good, right? That's usually what the romantic comedy formula is so, in so terms of establishing what the what the characters do for a living. But I'm just, I, why do you care? I don't understand. I, like, like we spent like a few minutes. You're, you're, we're, asking, we're talking about whether it's grounded in reality. Okay. Right? But, but is, is, like, when you sit down to watch a romantic comedy, like, does it annoy you in a Hollywood movie if they have some outlandish job or whatever? Like, I get the sense. No, that's part of, I think it's part of the genre. That's what you expect. Right. I think um, it's part of the reason why I don't like the genre, but that's what you expect. Yeah. So, so it is something, like, like, that is something that is central to your enjoyment where we were where do we get off on this i don't um, know we got off on this tangent with the rickshaw driver yeah what okay, is wrong you with you what is like wrong the with the character being a rickshaw driver right it's so cute that's why <laughs> but a cute how like because <laughs> it's the good looking neighbor who does a physical job but he's not a construction worker he does this uh this kind of exotic job who else would you see who drives a rickshaw in Toronto, right? Right. Yeah. And he's an artist. So it's not really his – it's not like he's, he's in a dead-end job. It's that he wants to be an artist, but he does this manual labor. So it's, it's, these, you know, it's these things that kind of um, – um, they build to this fantasy of that, that unattainable guy or that – Right. Yeah. Um, but I think I think I, I don't know my thinking I, I, I don't know I don't watch a ton of romantic comedies but um, the like their occupation it, it like it just set aside like I just didn't even I don't even think about that it's like it doesn't it doesn't occur to me once to think oh like that's a ridiculous job to have or whatever because at least in this movie in particular I'm so immediately hooked into the emotion of the characters, and that's mm-hmm. all I care about for the rest of it. Okay. I think I'm distracted by the details of the movie to yeah. get into their emotions. Yeah. So uh, I guess we're, in a, in a sense, we're seeing different movies. Yeah. yeah. But, but would you say that you're, you're, in general, distracted by those types of details in any movie? Like, you, like, like it's something that you need to believe. You need to believe what the character how they occupy their time, regardless of whether or not the movie really has to do with how they occupy their time. You know what I mean? Like, like their jobs no. don't really have any impact on, on the story, but I guess they inform who they are. Like, I, I, I'm just trying to understand the, the level of importance that that detail has in that, your mind. The detail of the, of the rickshaw driver. Or just of, the, of, an, of an occupation of a character mm-hmm. in general. It by itself isolated it doesn't it doesn't make or break the movie but when we're talking about a movie that just piles it on um eventually it just becomes so much that you you know you kind of throw your hands up and say like well it's just getting a little bit silly yeah right so is is this that movie um that that, that piles it on and and it becomes too much a little bit okay and not just because of its cuteness um but but because it is. It is so obvious in its cuteness. It is so obvious in in the uh, in the feeling that it wants to tap, and and how it how it sells its moments. Um, like, for example, Daniel and, and Margot, they get a chance to pretty much state what their character trait is. One of the first encounters between the two of them on the plane, Margot says, "I'm afraid of being afraid." Yeah. And uh, and Daniel, when he introduces her to his artwork, and she asks him, "Why haven't have you exhibited?" He said, "No, I'm a coward." Right. It's 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 um, it just seems so. The writing seems so aware of telling the audience how to process these characters. The characters seem so aware of themselves that they just announce themselves to the world. Right. And I, I find that a bit. Um, I find that. Uh, it seems like it's easy 
in terms of scripting the characters. Mm-hmm. But it it just makes for a movie that is very obvious. Um, the music cues they they reflect the scenes like right on the nose. The after the Sarah Silverman character. She gives a speech um, at a party because she's been uh, she's been on the wagon. She's an alcoholic and she's been on the wagon for ten months or something. So her friends throw her a party. Yeah. And the ironic thing is, everyone else at the party is uh, is having alcohol, right? And immediately after her speech, uh, the music cue is uh, is a cover of uh, of a Leonard Cohen song. The first lines of 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 it uh, of the song are "We're drinking and we're dancing." Uh, there's another Leonard Cohen song that comes on later on um, during their um, uh, there, there's a there's a sex scene that yeah. happens right uh, and that, which is the which is the song uh, that the take this waltz yeah, yeah which uh, the the movie's titled after but there's a there's a repeated line I want you I want you I want you it's the the songs say exactly what you should feel in the scene or or exactly what is happening in the scene you could you could watch the scene you could watch this or listen to the movie without the visuals and know what's going on how you should feel. Um, the w- okay, if I if I can respond to that, I, th- I think she's kind of it's, she as in Sarah Pauli has set a challenge for herself with this particular movie because it is set up within the framework of romantic comedies, and so like like you say, it it, it almost it almost feels like it can be subversive of of the genre in certain instances, but then it seems like you're also saying that it plays into the genre in a lot of cases. With with very pointed musical cues, with these absurd jobs, with the very obvious writing, all of these things. Um, but I I feel like she's doing it with purpose, and none of none of those details that that you're mentioning again they they don't they didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was certainly able to observe them. I didn't I didn't pick up on the on the the. Um, the obviousness of the music cues, but obviously, uh, to some extent, I recognized, you know, the the jobs and and certainly the, the dialogue um, on a, on a second viewing registered even more as as very um, very obvious. Mm-hmm. But I, I I just get the sense that she's she's aware of those things. Yeah, she's she's using all of those genre tropes with a very specific purpose. To to allow the audience to feel comfortable in the world, and then and then really get to the heart of the emotions of these characters, because that, that to me is the most important important part of this movie, and and where it, where it succeeds the most. Mm-hmm. I, I saw I saw the imperfections of it this time around. The first time I saw it, I was just I was just completely drawn into it, and and couldn't help myself. Mm-hmm. This time around, I definitely felt a lot, I, I, a lot of the things that you're saying, but I feel like she's she's created something transcendent and and beautiful that that it it it's just irrelevant. It, it doesn't matter to me at all. Okay, that's that's the difference when you're when you feel an emotional uh, connection to a movie mm-hmm. and you you believe what it's selling you. Right, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that, that that's a great feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that's kind of what I seek when I go to the movies as well. So I'm I'm really happy that you got that from the movie, mm-hmm. and I don't like I don't want to disparage that. At no, all. of course, of yeah. course. So we're just you know we are talking about our uh, individual reactions to a movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I think some of the scenes between the characters are really lovely. Yeah. Um, there's there's a couple that are not though, and we can get to those as well. We can talk about those later. For me, um, it's just the kind of viewer I am. I think, I think the abundance of details that distract ruined it for me. Okay. Yeah. And uh, when you you talked about it being, um, you said it, you called it a beautiful movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. I think is deliberately trying to be beautiful. I agree with that. And there's there are um, there's uh, photography that can be admired in it, and there is definitely. Art direction and, and and set decorating that is to be admired, but I think it's distracting as well. Like yeah. the like the house they live in, the house they live in is is just deliberately made too quirky or too uh, funky. You know, they they have a they're in a kitchen uh, with uh, with a hardwood floor, mm-hmm. 
and they have three different rugs on the on the floor, and the and the cabinets on the wall are painted green, and they have a side table that is red. And green and red they crop up in this movie uh, throughout. Right? And they have and and the there's a there's a half divide there's a half wall dividing the kitchen from uh, from the next space, which has uh, like uh, stained glass on it. Mm-hmm. And and then out on the porch, there's uh, there's a pillar between two doorways, and the pillar is painted in two colors to to uh, mark this divide, and the the wood on the porch where uh, where Lou and Margot live, the wood is uh, the wood is a bit rough and um, and worn out, whereas the next whereas the neighbor's deck is perfect. It is the same deck, but the wood is perfect on their deck, and it's dilapidated on on uh, on Lou's side. It's just like there's just there's so much effort put into building the um, the illusion of this of this not well off but still rich a young artsy couple being rich this is that image there's for me there's just so much effort put into that that I was distracted yeah um, I don't know if I don't know if that means like less of that would have uh, made the difference for me but what I saw on screen I just couldn't I couldn't stop looking at the those details yeah, yeah. so one thing that occurred to me while I was watching it is the the visual elements of it and how they don't relate to the romantic comedy genre mm-hmm. because because you know in general a typical hollywood comedy it's not known for breathtaking cinematography it's not known for taking the time for for visual moments it's about it's about people talking about how they feel and ultimately trying to work out their relationship and that like that's the focus of it so so they don't care about you know taking taking the time to you know obviously you didn't like the rickshaw thing but but you know when they're when they're running down the street at night and you just you just see you see the sun setting in toronto as they're going from from their house to this restaurant i i just i there's the visuals in there and and just the moments of of the characters sitting next to each other and just the the expressions changing on their faces it 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 takes a lot of moments to to develop that the the visual aspect of the characters and and the world that they live in it seems like it was more distracting to you than it was um complimentary i guess but the visuals to me felt uh felt more within the world of european cinema and it actually made me think of uh kislowski and just the the overwhelming the overwhelming color in his movies and um i think i've spo- i've spoken to you about how some of his movies i find the cinematography kind of off-putting and unsettling but um particularly the three colors trilogy it made me think a lot of blue and even there's even a scene where she's in the pool late at night and that was very reminiscent of mm-hmm. of julia pinoche I like I, the scene. I like the scene where the two of them are uh, are diving together. Yeah, yeah. Those those kinds of visuals I felt they they don't exist in in a lot of in a lot of North American movies. I would say just in general, or mm-hmm. you you could say Canadian or Hollywood or whatever. You don't find time for for those kinds of visuals, and I think the discrepancy there also opens her up for 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 yet more criticism because. Again, she's she's created what, on its surface, looks like a generic romantic comedy, but she's attempting to blend that with a with a more artistic sensibility. And the two of those things, if if they don't if they don't compute for for the viewer, then it, it doesn't fit. And and you start to realize the the issues with it. Whereas I think it just it, for some reason it just it just clicks in my mind. Um, the other thing, the other thing that I thought of was that line in particular where, when she's on the plane, and she says that you know she's afraid of being afraid. All that stuff. I feel like if it was in another language and it was subtitled, you would read that and you wouldn't think twice about it because oh, it's just a translation or or whatever. Or, or but I, I I feel like I feel like a lot of that stuff can come across differently if you're consuming it. In a, in a language that you don't comprehend, you, you you focus more on the visuals and you focus more on on the characters' faces, and and it doesn't it doesn't really matter if the if the dialogue is is you know overly cute or contrived. 
and um, it's a difficult blend of tones that she's going for. I think mm-hmm. that that ultimately can clash for for some, and uh, and and maybe just perf- perfectly sort of blend together for others. Is there a scene that you want to talk about? Yes, I think the key scene for me is when they go to Center Island in Toronto and go on the Scrambler, the roller coaster ride. Just the way that that is staged and how it all sort of evolves. I don't I don't think it's a single take. There might be some cuts in it, but you and do you remember what song was playing? Yes. Radio uh, video killed the radio. Video killed the radio. Star. Yeah. And I don't know, is there like some pointed, like really obvious thing that I'm losing about that song? Like anything in the lyrics there that's like really obvious? When I when I watched it, there was something that stuck out to me. I said, well, is I wonder if, I wonder if that's the reason for using the song. Right. I don't remember what that is right off the top of my head. But then, but you could say that Daniel is is video to lose radio. Okay. Yeah. So it is. There's something obvious anyway. Um so that scene, it, we, we've talked about, like you've said that Empire Strikes Back is a perfect movie, right? Yes. And I've, I've said that I can't point to a perfect movie, but I can point to perfect scenes. Okay. And my example was the scene in uh, The Lives of Others, without getting into too much detail about that movie in case people haven't seen it or whatever. It's a, it's a point at which the, the character's perception of another character changes at the exact same point that the audience's perception of that same character change and it's just perfectly executed and the way that the music is layered in everything about it just is a perfect representation of what movies should be and how they can use visual and audible language to communicate their message i think that this roller coaster scene is equally perfect um, the, regardless of what the the lyrics mean to the to the moment of this, what the lyrics of the song mean to the moment, I, I wasn't paying attention to that. But what I was paying attention to was just the the character of the song and how how upbeat and and lively it is, and how they're having so much fun. But it's in this very dark environment, hmm. and so they're able they're able to sort of hide in plain sight, so to speak, because they're 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 having this moment to themselves. And you see it, you see, uh, I think particularly Margot, um, more so than Daniel, just because Daniel seems very comfortable in what they're doing. He doesn't, he's not bothered by the fact that he's in an affair with a married woman. It's just, he's, he recognizes a connection with another person and he wants to pursue it. And that's the extent of it for him. But for her, she's struggling a lot with it. And so you see through the evolution of this scene, again, I can't recall if there's cuts or whatever, but you see the, you see the expression change, change on Michelle Williams' face. And her acting is just, I mean, I, 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 I've, I've spoken before as well about how I, I'm not really, I, I don't really, I, I can't tell a difference between good and bad acting to a certain extent. Like if it, if I think it works, then it works. Like I don't really think much beyond that, I guess. But the evolution of just her expression in that scene is, is, is just perfectly executed in my mind where she goes from, from sort of more distant and uncomfortable with the experience to, she just she just can't help herself but let go and and just embrace this moment because she's on a roller coaster mm-hmm. and there's only so much you can do to resist the 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 undulations of this machine mm-hmm. and and then and then the 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 ride stops and the lights come up and she immediate that both of them even even Daniel the both of them are just immediately like so uncomfortable and you know the 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 lighting is just very sort of that's plain and white yeah that's the first instance in the movie where it isn't that warm glow of light yeah Yeah. and ultimately i think what the movie is trying to say is that we may desire new and different things but we won't be satisfied with them and that moment just perfectly encapsulates 
that message, I think, because because they're 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 caught up in the thrill of the ride. But then the lights come up and they're left not knowing what to do. So that was mm-hmm. one scene that stuck out. I really like that scene. Actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fact that the movie ends with her on that same ride on by herself mm-hmm. just further reiterates the idea that she really doesn't know what she's doing and she's just completely lost. Mm-hmm. Then uh, shall we talk about the scene that comes between the two times that she goes to the scrambler? And for me, it's it's where I kind of gave up on the movie. It might be open to interpretation, whether it is a sequence, a, a series of things happen, or if it's one fantasy scene. But she leaves her husband. The affair, or what was going to be an affair, is discovered. So she runs away to uh, to the beach where she she hopes to see Daniel again. And that sets off a long scene where they reunite and then they have... Uh, like they move into an apartment together. Yeah. Now, I think all of that is a dream. Is is that the right way to interpret it? Yeah. Um, it's certainly set up that way because you don't see Daniel mm-hmm. when she's on the beach. You just see her turn to the camera and say, oh, there you are. Or her, he says, oh, there you are, or something. Mm-hmm. But... I think it's set up as a fantasy initially, but ultimately it gets woven back into reality to some extent because then it cuts directly to her walking on the street. She sees Lou's book. She goes to the house because she gets called because Sarah Silverman, what, what do you remember what her character's name was? Jerry? Or Jerry. Jerry. Yeah, it was Jerry. Uh, Jerry's fallen off the wagon or she's on mm. the wagon. She's drinking again. Yeah. yeah. Which means that she's off, off the wagon. <laughs> Um, that's uh, so. You think you think that part is real? You think that the that Lou's cookbook got published? That she goes back to the house to see the family? All that's real. Yes, probably. Yes, yeah. and I think and I think everything in the apartment when they're when they have the sex scene and and they slowly add more furnishings to the yeah. to the apartment. I don't know why I'm laughing at that, but it just seems like it's an odd progression that they're just having sex for like. What, what well, I guess between the cuts, it would be like several weeks just on the chair and on the bed, mm-hmm. and then they add more furniture, and then they lose interest in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I think I think it's set up as a fantasy sequence, but turns into because because I guess the that moment of them finally embracing. If you are in this affair, you've been sort of skirting around any any real intimacy, so that would feel unreal to an extent but then you get brought back into the reality of forming a life together and and just watching television and the banality of of day-to-day relationship i guess Hmm. do you think daniel met her at the beach yes i don't think he did okay i think that whole sequence in the apartment is her dream and Uh, so when she goes to see lou and jerry She's not actually in a relationship with Daniel. No, she's, she's just, just she's just on her she's own. She's just she's just walked out on the family. She's yeah. Okay. I think that's what because when we get back when she goes back to the scrambler, like you said, she is alone. Yeah. She's returning to a place where she felt safe for a time, to a place where she didn't where she wasn't afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she can only be there by herself. So I don't think. I don't think her scenes with Daniel are real. Okay. Yeah. Also, and I so think, you were saying you were saying the movie lost you there. Yeah, because when I was watching it, my immediate thought was this is a dream, and because it just went on for so long, it was so indulgent, overly indulgent about that moment, about that dream, that I I really grew tired of it. Okay. And I I didn't like um, uh, the the way that the camera circled the the couple and then there was elements that were added to uh to the to the set i just thought it was it just felt so stagey so um it just really drew attention to the mechanics of of making this moment that i was drawn out i was i I felt kicked out of the movie Mm because this was just a thing it was like pausing to watch someone's music video it just felt so out of place in the movie that i was um um, I was very frustrated by it. So 
I was I was hoping that the movie would um, would build to something significant, and I wanted to see where this character was going to go, and that that the filmmakers just wallowed in that dream, and then and then didn't really let you off the hook to say it was or was not a dream. That just but if was, but if it is a dream, a betrayal why? of of what I had invested in this character. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but but if it is a dream, why? would she dream about just like day-to-day life with this person as it, as it loses its luster and it's, and it's allure. But that's part of her fear. She could, she could have a cycle where she's interested and then she'll lose interest. So is, is it's maybe it mirrors the cycle that she had with Lou. So is that her fear? And is that why she's better off alone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think these are all interesting questions. And I guess, I guess to a certain extent, I feel like it's open to interpretation. I don't, I don't feel like it, because like I said, I, 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 I get the sense that the, just the way that the way that the dream sequence progresses, if we're calling it a dream sequence, I, I feel like it gets back into reality. And, mm-hmm. and I, 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 I feel like you could, you could read it that she does end up with Daniel. Do you read it that way because you want those characters to be together or something signaled to you that they were together? I don't necessarily want them to be together. I think. Do you want her to be apart from Lou? Uh, yes. Hmm. I mean, I, I I don't think there's really any value in their relationship. I think they're 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 both very immature characters, and they're not really um, they're not progressing with each other. They're they just kind of go through the same motions of cooking with each other and just playing these these stupid games where they act like babies basically and so i i don't think that that relationship is is healthy or worthwhile for either of them we're supposed to be touched though by lou's revelation or his confessing to margo that he's been trying to stage an elaborate prank that he was he was hoping to reveal to her Many years down the road, right? the, with the with the shower, right, the yeah. cold the cold water shower, is that a moment that was meant to touch us to say like he really he really cares about her and he wants he's he's seeing their future um, many years from now, or or is that just a stupid thing he does? I think it could really go either way. I mean, I think he, he, his character isn't really deep enough that I really care whether or not he was setting up an elaborate bike. I guess like. He, I don't know. He's just kind of boring to me, hmm. and so like even like when they were eighty, if he were to reveal that, I feel like she'd just be like, "Oh yeah, all right, but, funny thing but to do." But she cries when she hears that. She's touched by that. Yeah, but it makes no difference to her um, in her ultimate decision. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's more sad or pathetic than anything. Like that, he thinks that that what's holding their relationship together is these little jokes and pranks that they pull on each other. But sometimes relationships are about those little details, that those little familiarities and little in-jokes that you have with people. Yeah, but I feel like that's all they have. But what does she have with Daniel? They have they have the spark of something new. I don't, I don't really think they have anything... Just animal attraction. Yeah, yeah they so, don't necessarily have anything more... So she's right in her fantasy, then, that she'll get tired of him. Yeah, or, or in the reality of that fantasy whether or not it is a fantasy or a reality. Now, Daniel, <laughs> but Daniel left because he said he wasn't going to be, he didn't want to come between them. Right, and he moved, and yeah, so I guess it is all a fantasy, and she doesn't end up with him, and, and she's alone at the end. That, it's an interesting subversion of a romantic movie or a romantic comedy, in, yeah. that, in that the character, in, in pursuing what she wants, she's more comfortable having none of it. Mm-hmm. Right? She, doesn't, she doesn't want the situation that she was in, and... And then she decides she doesn't want the situation that she was pursuing. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's an it's an interesting endpoint for uh, for this t- type of story. Mm-hmm. I want to give it credit for that, and and I think I do by by uh, acknowledging that it's it's um, a very daring move. I I just can't help but but feel unsatisfied, Speci- but like by how it's set up. In that you think the the fantasy sequence is indulgent, or is there more to that lack of satisfaction? Well, one I think the fantasy sequence. I just don't like. I don't like the fantasy sequence. It yeah. goes on too long, and it's too stagey. I don't like how she gets to her decision because it feels arbitrary whether she is with one of them or none of them. 
I don't I didn't feel enough from her character to know that she belongs in the place where she reaches at the end. It it just seems like she ends up there um almost because she can't decide where she wanted to be. What significance does it have that she has the interaction with Jerry when Jerry is uh, drinking again? What what happens exactly there? Well, the, the Sarah Silverman character shows up drunk and they they go to the side of the house to have an exchange and she she tells Margot um something to the effect of who are you to who are you to criticize me for doing this? Right. I'm an alcoholic. What do you expect? I my feeling of my feeling about that scene was it was meant to tell us the viewer that you can't deny what you want. Does that make sense? You can't well Sarah Silverman's character is that you can't deny who you are. Right. And to Margot she's saying you can't deny what you want. You you left your family because you wanted that guy. Right. But she doesn't she doesn't fully pursue the thing that she thinks she's pursuing. She ends up with neither Lou or Daniel. Right. So that so the way that she reaches that end point um, it doesn't feel like it is the character's will to go there. It's the, the character. The well, character it, is just kind of going um, arbitrarily where the where the script is going to place her. I th- I think that's an unfair, uh, not necessarily unfair, but I think that's um, or I guess that's that's one way of reading where her character ends up. But I guess. For me, it seems like it's more so rooted in... I, I think it is set up that she is very immature. And just because she is in a married relationship with another man doesn't necessarily mean that she's ready for that by any extent. And so to say that she she doesn't end up... Or she ends up where she ends up because of the script rather than her own choices. I think she she ends up there specifically because... She doesn't know where else she has to... Like, she's just lost. And she has to be alone. There was another... Yeah, I I wanted to talk about how awkward the characters are. Okay. And the awkwardness of their interactions with each other. They're they're quite frequently awkwardly laughing at each other. And, like, there's the scene with Daniel and Margot where they're they're drinking the martinis and they're talking about how they would touch each other and... Mm -hmm. And they're very embarrassed by the whole thing, or I guess Margot more so than Daniel. But and again, that speaks to their immaturity. Um, I think another reason why, or another criticism I've seen of the movie is Seth Rogen's acting mm-hmm. and how he doesn't really fit. I didn't. I didn't mind him except for one scene. The one scene being when he finds out that she's cheating. Yeah, where he where it seems like he does a number of different takes of his reaction. Yeah. So I have, I don't know, I have, I have a lot of sort of theories about this movie that maybe are just justifications in my own mind for trying to, trying to um, defend what I just, what I just really enjoy in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they could, they could have some merit. I don't know. So we'll, we'll try it out. So um, again, thinking about this, sort of typical romantic comedy construct, the characters are generally generally confident to some degree. They they understand they understand what they want or they at least understand that they don't know what they want. Um, and that they need to find something else. These characters don't really know any of that. They're 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 really just aimless. And they don't really they don't really know how to interact with each other the, Lou and Margot uh, almost the extent of their relationship is just these childish moments of you know like getting into play fights and and just speaking in very in very childish ways and they don't they don't they're not able to you know express their feelings about each other even when they go out on uh, on a date for their for their anniversary they they don't know what to say to each other they can't speak they can't they can't hold a conversation and it's not because you know they've they're in a comfortable relationship and they just they can they can sit with the silence because clearly they can't they're very uncomfortable with the silence um 
your your comment about the I'm I'm, I'm going to try and piece a, a number of things together here. So your comment about the uh, the fantasy sequence and how it's indulgent and overly staged. Your comments about um, I guess the cinematography being too much and uh, in certain instances and and trying trying to be beautiful rather than just being beautiful i think in general the movie is trying to do a lot of things and and i think that's part of why i really appreciate it and enjoy it because it it is taking chances and and going to places that that maybe the director isn't comfortable with she feels awkward staging these scenes and so they they don't they're not perfect they they're not you know it's not um i keep i keep relating it in my mind to punch drunk love because i feel like that is just a perfectly executed movie in terms of in terms of the the scope of its of its vision and the interactions and the and the arcs of the characters and just everything about it to me just clicks I don't know. I just feel I feel like it's impossible to criticize them. <laughs> so Punch Drunk Love, we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think Punch Drunk Love is a very good movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas this feels like an early at- an earlier attempt at the same kind of movie, and 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 the, and I guess one of the reasons that I that I relate the two of them in my mind is the characters are very awkward. Mm-hmm. Same in same in Punch Drunk Love. Like Adam Sandler, he shouldn't even. Like he's not a human. Like he just he does, he doesn't know how to interact with anyone. And the, one of their childish games that they play, Lou and Margot, is they like talk about how they're going to be violent toward each other and scoop their eyeballs out with melon ballers and mm-hmm. blah blah blah. In Punch Drunk Love, there's a scene where um, Adam Sandler and and um, Emily Watson are lying on a bed in Hawaii, and he says to her, "I just look at your face and I want to smash it." I want to take a sledgehammer and smash your face. And she's like, I just want to bite your cheeks off and scoop your eyeballs out. And, and so they're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So it's a very clear reference to Montreal. Like there's without a doubt that okay. she could have just written the same type of character moment in her movie. Yeah. Nice observation. I didn't catch that. Um, so I, I, I don't know. Thinking of it as a progression from away from her, away from her, is, it, it's pretty, it's a pretty straightforward movie. It's it's also about adultery, I guess, is interesting. Um, which so is take this or um, uh, stories we tell. Right. Um, so it's an interesting through line in this first stage of her career, I guess. But um, away from her, you know, it's three characters. It, like it, it follows a clear, you know, I guess you could call it three act structure or, or whatever you want. The, there's no flourishes to it. I agree that take this waltz is much more ambitious than yeah. uh, away from her yeah. which which is an interesting juxtaposition because it's a romantic comedy and so mm-hmm. again like you don't think of uh, at least in my mind I don't think of a romantic comedy having audacious visuals but but this is something that she's that she's trying for mm-hmm. and so it's I guess I guess just in a in an overarching very broad sense I think that's really just why I like the movie because because it's just it's just trying so many things and some of it might not work but when it clicks like when when you when you see them on that roller coaster and then the lights come up like that's just perfect mm-hmm. and so I just can't help but I can't help but love the movie as a whole because of those moments. I understand why you like the movie. Yeah, yeah, I totally understand because sometimes you see a movie, you just know how much they're trying. Yeah, and you root for them. You you want them to pull it off. Yeah, and um, and and you see you see the moments that work well. Those outshine the moments that don't work. Yeah, yeah. But you but the moments that don't work, you still admire the effort. Yeah, I totally understand that. And I think I've got movies like that too, which um, other people would would disagree with me on their merits. But but I I say, but that scene like that they did that scene is amazing. Yeah, yeah. and. Um, well, the podcast I listen to a lot is uh, F This Movie. Yeah. And um, I think he called them, I think he calls them admirable failures. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in your mind, it's not a failure. No. But 
you admire the effort. And I can I I agree with you that it is an ambitious movie. And you know, hats off for for trying to do something so different. I think that's why it is um, so such a such a target for criticism because things that because if you if you aim high and you you miss the mark, it's very easy for people to say you didn't you didn't make it. Yeah. yeah. And again, it just seems like a weird a weird movie to make as as a statement of I'm I'm really going to try try and make something different with this because ultimately the 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 structure around it is very simplistic and very well worn but she's adding her own her own flair to it um going back to Paul Thomas Anderson Magnolia is that is that movie for him I think mm-hmm and where th- where he's just trying everything and you know the mm-hmm. camera's whipping around and it's 3 hours long and all the characters sing at the same time and i think you see a pattern with a lot of with a lot of filmmakers that after they get they get one that is respected yeah the next one they they go for broke yeah yeah um and Usually that's the one that people get that give them the most flack for. Yeah. Um, I, and and Magnolia is actually it's a movie that I that I absolutely adore. Like just moment to moment, I just do. as a closing point on Sarah Pauli's particular ambitions, mm-hmm. um, I want I wanted to connect it back to to uh, Seth Rogen being in the movie as well because he I think he embodies he his, his acting and his character kind of embodies the struggles with trying to trying to trying to overreach in a certain extent in this in a certain extent because one way of reading his performance is that his acting is bad i think another way of reading it is that his character doesn't know how to act in these situations hmm. and i think that's fair and and that's that's where I fall with it. I actually really enjoy him in the movie because mm-hmm. even 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 the scene where even where he's um, he's reacting to the he's discovery reacting. of his of his wife's um, affair. Yeah. yeah, like I just feel like he's such a he's such a bland person that he he just wouldn't really know how to react, and mm-hmm. so he would just kind of hold his head down and and just awkwardly like pout and mm-hmm. like he wouldn't he wouldn't know what to do, mm-hmm. and. Um, that scene would have worked better if it was like directed as one scene though rather than just um a montage of different reactions i i actually but I, again i i think i think that the the, mon- the the cut the quick jump cuts between his his various reactions speaks to his inability to to really give a genuine emotional response to his wife cheating on him i think it speaks to the filmmaker trying to trying to do something different in a scene where she shouldn't where she, it should just be played straight yeah agree to disagree <laughs> all right well we've we've spent a lot of time talking about um take this waltz yeah. so what do you think makes it canadian it's named after a canadian songwriter's song called take this waltz Leonard Cohen. yes it features two of his songs uh take this waltz and uh closing time which is covered by feist another canadian artist um, There's also uh, not Kevin Drew, but um, the other guy in Broken Social Scene. Uh, is it Adam something? I can't remember. But anyway, th- that's another Toronto-based musician okay. that's featured in the movie. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, they run a clip from CBC News. Okay. Seth Rogen's in it. Noted is, Canadian is that, actor. Yeah, but does that that doesn't make it Canadian? Like, that's not a like not all not all Canadian movies. Well, it doesn't matter. Okay, so yeah. Well, I guess I guess um, there are a number of Canadian actors in it. Maybe maybe a higher proportion than okay, a higher proportion of Canadian actors than an American production. All right. <laughs> um, it, there's a reference to an old Canadian movie. Okay. On the marquee of the theater where they go. It's uh, Mon Oncle Antoine. Okay. Yeah. It's very clearly shot in Toronto and, and not made to be another city. Mm-hmm. 
and you like even even something like Lake Ontario, you like you typically wouldn't see that in some, some a movie that's trying to hide that it's Toronto. Yeah, you, it, you see yeah, that one it's very much in Toronto. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, I, I guess they shot on the East Coast too. Right. It's directed by Canadian. Yeah. yeah, but I guess that's the whole point of this podcast. Right. Yeah. So, how many leafs would you give this movie? Last time we did out of eleven, I think. Hmm. So this time. Well, this time. Um, it should. <laughs> I don't know what. Thir- thirteen leaves. So let's just pick prime numbers. Thirteen leaves. Yeah. Okay. Out of thirteen leaves, I'll give it. Uh, I'll give it ten leaves. Wow. Um, out of thirteen, I, I I would award it six. There you go. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me today to talk about Take This Waltz. Uh, let's talk about another Canadian movie real soon. Sounds good. And thanks for listening, listeners. We hope you will uh, download our podcast again or look up our old episodes on the website. Just filmedincanada.net. And I'm on Twitter at married to a fly, and that's T O married to a fly. Thanks. <laughs>